everybody. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you so much for your amazing love. And we thank you that because of Jesus, we are your sons and daughters and can gather as your family this morning to worship you, to praise you and to give you thanks for all that you are and all that you have done. We pray for the life of this church, given and sustained by your spirit. We thank you also for our unity and love that has grown and strengthened us as a community. We thank you that as a church we are able to worship you this morning and hear your word proclaimed in freedom. Whenever we give thanks for this freedom, we are reminded of those people in your church across the world who are not free, those who are persecuted and imprisoned for their faith. We pray for your spirit to work in their circumstances to bring freedom, justice and comfort for them, for your light and love to shine in the darkness of their isolation. We would also ask for the strengthening of our own faith to be bold and willing to do what we can to lift up Jesus to others, to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. We pray for the nation of Israel and the people of Palestine in this long-standing conflict. Lord, we pray for wisdom, for peace to be established and a sense of working for the common good of all the people to prevail. We pray for those who are suffering for many and varied reasons, those who are hungry and have no shelter, those who are unemployed and worried about their future, those who are grieving, those who are at the bedside of a loved one in need of care and healing. And we especially remember Bev and Mike this morning at the hospital with Bev's mum, Bonnie. Jesus, we ask for your presence and comfort to be with all these people, to bring hope and to strengthen them with your love. And lastly, we pray, Lord, that you will give us wise minds and spirits attuned to your will. Give us compassion and understanding so that we will live a life that's pleasing to you. Lord, give us a greater sense of your power and your glory so that we may see earthly things as they really are. Please strengthen our faith to believe that your love and passion for the world will one day overcome all injustice and unrighteousness that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you, Jesus, are Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we pray this in your precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you, Carol. Isn't it wonderful to just come and, as Carol said, be able to have the freedom to worship together? It's a wonderful thing. Um. Before I get into the message today, I just wanted to uh, share something with you, some good news and some bad news. <laughs> uh, the good news is we've been looking at um, redoing the deck out the back here to give us some space after church to have fellowship, wonderful time uh, to be able to get together, have conversations about faith and life and have, have the space to do that. The council approval has come in, so we're all good to go for that. So that's the good news. Uh, the bad news is we've kind of run out of funds to make it happen. <laughs> um, as as part of uh, coming into this building in this space, 
we as a leadership team uh, consider our tithes and our offerings and predict what's going to be coming in for the year. And, and on that, we base a budget on uh, staffing and on our expenses and all those sorts of things. And uh, coming into this building, there are things like curtains, uh, carpet, signs, um, what else? We, and there's all sorts of things that come out of nothing, really, uh, come out of just expenses that aren't budgeted for in, an, in a normal budget. And so just to let you know that there are a number of things that we're still really keen to do as part of entering into this space and having it for a long, long time. We want to grow. We really want to see new people come into the church and into the kingdom. And an idea has been to actually push through these uh, doors into these storerooms here to actually enlarge the space so that there's space for new people to come in. And again, that's just something that's just going to have to come out of an unbudgeted amount that, that needs to happen. So um, just to let you know that we'd love to do these projects and those sorts of things, but at the moment, um, unless um, people really want to get behind those specific projects, we're going to need to wait a little while before they can happen. So just keep that in your prayers, and as you think about that, that might be something you might want to uh, get behind or you might have a creative idea as to how we might go about those things as well. Uh, a couple of weeks ago... Uh, I shared a message based on the woman at the well, and we didn't talk about the interaction that happened uh, between Jesus and this Samaritan woman. We talked about what happened afterwards, and it was a really uh, great uh, example of what happens when someone is impacted by a moment with Jesus that turns into movement. We have these moments with Jesus that impact us so greatly that they uh, enlarge our faith and they cause us to have movement and this woman went back to her village and she invited them all to basically her, her evangelistic method was come and see. It's, it's not about what she knew, what she was strong in, how she was preached, how she had a PowerPoint presentation. None of that mattered. It was, it was hey, come and see. And, and she only knew Jesus for a little small while. And yet she was able to transform her whole village. Imagine those of us who've known Jesus for a long while. We still might not have all the answers, but the, the thing remains the same. Come and see the God who does. This morning, uh, I'm going to have a, a very similar message. It's the same message, really, part two, saying the same thing. No, just joking. Um, and what happened after that two weeks ago, um, we've been talking about really one thing that's going to really change us and motivate us is testimony. Uh, as people's testimony of going out and making a difference and seeing things happen, God empowering them to do stuff. And um, Dave Sanders came straight up to me after that week and he said, oh, what you just shared then was so fantastic because it's exactly what happened to me. There was a situation where I invited someone to, to a men's event, to a, to a breakfast, and, and the whole point of come and see uh, and I said, can you share that with the congregation? It would be great for you to share that testimony uh, before us. And he said, I'll try and make it there. And I said, well, if you can't, can you send a video now? Dave's not here today. Anne is still suffering, and we can keep uh, Dave and Anne in our prayers. Um, but Dave has sent through a video, so we're going to put that up uh, for you to see. Good morning, church. When Zoran announced the men's breakfast, I started trying to work out who I might invite. 
And after a day or two, I gave up and asked the Lord. And a name came into my head and I said, really? Um, and I thought about it for a day. I said, okay, Lord, I'll ask him, but you've got to be in the asking. So his name is Dick. I rang him at work, made sure he was free to speak. And I said, Dick, would you like to come to a men's church breakfast? He said, there are three conditions. I said, one, it's free. Two, you're going to have to listen to one or two blokes talk about God. And three, if you can come, I need a lift. Dick said he would come. He gave me a lift. And afterwards when I asked him what he thought, he said, interesting. Please pray for him. Great example of the power of invitation. Uh, a huge thing when we invite someone to come and see. Come and see what God is doing. Come and see who this Jesus is. It's not about what I have, what I can show you, what I can tell you about or argue or whatever. Just come and experience. And that's what happened with the woman in the well. Come and see what's happening. Now, as I was thinking about this, this message, something popped to mind uh, for me, an illustration that, that came to mind uh, my wife uh, runs a business from home and part of that is she goes on conferences and uh, a conference that happened interstate, we had little Jethro who was six months old or something at the time, so she needed a babysitter, so I got to go along as well um, to this conference and look after little Jethro while, while she was um, in this conference. And the, the, the speaker was talking about the mission of her business and how important it is to tell everyone about this mission. And we need to be inviting people. We need to be telling them and constantly asking, asking, asking in order to get a yes to, to come and, and see. And I remember him giving this illustration. I'm like, that is gold. That, that works so perfectly with church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nick that one. So I put it in my back pocket for a, a year and a half. I've been waiting to do it. And I thought, yeah, today's the day. It's as we talk about invitation, as we talk about asking, now, sometimes we can think that someone's going to say no so we don't ask them. We can already be saying someone's no for them, can't we? And the, the speaker at this conference says we've got to take the illustration, the example of an airline uh, steward and what their job is. And so an airline steward, I'm going to come in front of the speakers, guys, so you might just need to watch the... the um, if you think of an airline steward, that uh, their job is to make people comfortable and make sure that they're settled and have a great flight. And uh, as they're, they're walking down the aisle in their uniform, <laughs> uh, Leprechaun Airlines, um, how do they go about their job? They go down the aisle and they say, would you like a drink? Yeah, well, yeah, you'd like something. And they ask every person, don't they? Can I, can I offer you something? Can I offer you something? Would you like some coffee, some, some juice? What can I get you, sir? You, you look like you need something. Imagine, if you will, if they didn't do it in that way and they said, um, no, nah, you've got a drink already, I won't ask you. Oh, you're working on your laptop. 
no, you won't, you won't say yes. Oh, you've got tattoos. I won't talk to you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're asleep. Um, they'd get to the end of the plane, wouldn't they? And how many drinks would they have served? Hardly any. But as they ask every single person, they're going to get more yeses than if they didn't ask every single person. And it's the same when it comes to the invitation to come and see Jesus, come and experience Jesus. We might look at a person and go, oh, you're scary, you've got tattoos. But that might be the person that says yes. We might look at a person and go, oh, you're busy, you're on your laptop, you work too hard, you don't have time. But if we don't ask, if we say people's no for them, then we've given them their no rather than giving them an opportunity to say yes. And that's what really this morning is about. You know, that's, that's the mission of a, an airline steward and the, the method that uh, Joe's business works in. But we have the best mission in the world, the church, don't we? The most ultimate mission. And do we take that seriously in, in the way that we would just want everyone to be a part of it, that we would ask everyone that we come across, our work colleagues, our families, our friends, hey, come and see. Let me, and a bit like Dave said, I need a lift. I love that. It's not, hey, if you're interested, turn left there, turn right at the end of the street, yeah, there you'll find it. It's no, let me come alongside you. Let me come with you and see. And that's what this morning's message is about. It's about bringing people to Jesus. Bringing people to Jesus is our number one priority. Today's scripture passage is in Mark chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn to it because we're going to be pulling it apart a bit and really getting into this, this passage. This is a story about a couple of guys who would go to extraordinary lengths to bring their friend to Jesus. They didn't say, take no for an answer. They, they pushed and pushed and pushed until they got their friend through to Jesus. And it's a great example. I'm going to read this passage and then we're going to go back over it. And I'm going to ask a number of questions of us this morning. Some of those questions you might go, yeah, okay. And yep, or I've got that one under control. Some of the questions might be a little bit pokey. Some of them you might be chewing on for a number of days as you're driving away from here. That's, that's my hope. This, this passage kind of preaches itself. It's a story that preaches itself, but we're going to be looking into it. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Then some men came bringing to him a paralysed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralysed man, Your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. Don't you love it that Jesus can actually understand what's happening in our hearts? He doesn't need to hear or, or see what's going on. He can. There's nothing that's hidden from him. He could see what they were thinking in the hearts and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralysed man, your sins are forgiven, that's yeah, pretty easy to say, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. It's a bit harder, isn't it? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Has anyone here ever seen anything like this? I know that there's one or two of you who have have talked about stories in your life where you've seen uh, wonderful miracles uh, happen in front of you, and how that spurred you on in your faith, and how you can't but... Get that out of your mind. And the point here is that it is Jesus, it is the, the power of Jesus that is here to save, not you and me, which is the reason why the men had to bring their friends to Jesus. They had no power in themselves. They had no ability. There was no uh, sense of what they could do. They knew they've got to bring their friend to Jesus. I wonder what other options this paralysed man had had in his life wonder how many doctors he'd went to see, how many uh, other options there were in his life to perhaps pursue and, and look into to cure his condition. And then his men, his friends say, nah, this is the answer. This is how we're going to win this. We're going to get you to Jesus. So Jesus... Um, Born in Bethlehem, raised in um, Galilee, um, Nazareth. But he set up a a ministry home in Capernaum. Uh, In chapter 1, he's in a house, and it's Peter's house, one of the disciples. And there he he heals his mother, Peter's mother-in-law. So we can assume it's probably the same house here. And it says that, again, Jesus entered Capernaum. And the people heard and came home. They gathered in such large numbers that there's no room left. Now, first of all, just a side note, Jesus is attractive. Jesus is interesting. Here, large crowds came just to be around Jesus and to to witness and to what he has. I think sometimes in our invitation, we can forget that Jesus is actually really interesting. The teaching of Jesus is actually really attractive. In fact, there's research that says if you say, hey, would you like to come to church, you're probably likely to get a no. But if you say, would you like to come and hear about Jesus' teaching? Would you like to come and experience some power miracles? <laughs> More likely, people in this country are going to say yes. So Jesus is attractive. So first of all, I want to look at verse 3. Some men came bringing to him a paralysed man. This is, this is really the whole crux of, of this, this message. 
is that the men knew that this was the answer, to get their man to Jesus. This was their mission. This was their, their primary goal. We, we will stop at nothing until we get this man to Jesus because that's the answer to this condition. It's not good luck, you're on your own. Imagine if the men had have got to the house, saw that it was full, couldn't get in and said, well, better luck next time. We'll try again tomorrow or the next day. What if this was their only chance? What if this was their only opportunity? What if we lived like that? That every chance, every opportunity was the only one that these people had to bring their friends to Jesus. Let me accompany you. Let's get you to Jesus. And so the first question I want to ask of us today is, do we offer to bring others to Jesus to come and see? How often do we invite and say, hey, would you like to come with me to this? Would you like to accompany me to this? How often do we see our friends, our family, our work colleagues' needs as being met in Jesus? Let's bring them to him. In fact, one chapter later, or earlier, sorry, I talked about the other time in Mark chapter 1, that was, that was the method, the same house. That evening after sunset, the people, what did they do? Brought to Jesus all the sick, all the demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at the door. I've seen that before. We're going to see it again in a minute. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, an American theologian, uh, said this on this passage. He said, what we need in the church today is stretcher bearers, men and women with that kind of faith that go out and bring the unsaved so that they can hear the gospel. That's the message for this morning. How are we bringing people to Jesus? But also it says in verse 3 that the man was carried by four of them. He was carried by four of them. Obviously, his physical uh, ailment meant that he couldn't walk. He needed people to carry him. There's something really profound in here. Why is it that we bring others to Jesus? What is a reason? I want to say one of those reasons is it's because what someone's done for you. Someone has carried you to Jesus. In fact, if, if we think about everyone in this room, every one of us, whether it be a parent, a grandparent, a friend, a work colleague, has been part of your journey in bringing you to Jesus. If you look back over your history, there'll be someone, I promise, who has prayed over your life and asked for Jesus to make himself known to you. So who in your life has carried you? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Who in your life do you have to thank for, for, for being the motivation, for being the one that's actually carried you, accompanied you, invited you to come and see Jesus? Verse 4, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. What was the reason this man could not get to Jesus? Lack of effort lack of, because um, he couldn't walk. What was the reason? It was actually because of the crowd. 
was in the way. It wasn't lack of faith. It wasn't lack of belief. It was actually that people got in the way of this man actually entering into the presence of Jesus. And now these people, uh, would we say that they're, you know, spirit-filled, Bible-believing Christians? Probably not at this point. But they were Christ followers, weren't they? They were following Jesus. So it was the Christ followers that were hindering this man from getting to Jesus. Have you ever thought about that in this passage before? (laughs) I know I haven't. It was the Christ followers that presented this man. It begs us to ask the question, doesn't it? In what way are you or are we corporately as a church stopping people from coming to Jesus? What are the barriers, what are the blockades that we put in front of people coming to Jesus? Is it our language, the way we talk? Is it our hypocrisy? Our work colleagues say that we say one thing but they see us act another way. Is it the way we present ourselves as holier than thou? That can be a blockage. I know I've talked to lots of people that say things like, well, I could never live up to the life that you live because of all the stuff that's happened in my life. So I could never be what you are. That's a blockage, isn't it? In fact, I came across a great idea is for you to think about a work colleague or a family member or friend, put yourself in their position and write yourself a letter from their their perspective. Write a letter to yourself outlining all the reasons why they aren't accepting your invitation to come to Jesus and see what you write. Interesting. I love what um, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians when he's talking about removing these barriers, getting ourselves out of the way in order to win people to Christ. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many people as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win some Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the I wonder what that looked like. <laughs> wonder what it looked like for Paul to act like one not being under the law. Ever thought of that? Apostle Paul's getting a bit loose. <laughs> In order to win some, not under the law. Yeah? To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I became all things to all people so that by all possible means I might, might save some. In other words, I don't want to be a barrier. I don't want to be in the doorway stopping people from getting to Jesus. So I'm going to change the way I live, change the way I, I, I act, I talk, I dress even in order to win some to Christ. I don't want to be the barrier. Still in verse 4, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof. Now, of course, this is the most cool part of this story, isn't it? That they went to extreme lengths to get this man to Jesus. It was their number one goal. They would stop at nothing 
even when they saw that it was crowded, they didn't say, okay, I'm going to give up. They pushed and pushed and pursued and were creative about how to get them to Jesus. And that in itself speaks to us. How are we creative? How do we go outside the box? How do we, how do we make opening in ruse in order to get people there? It's their number one mission and they'll stop at nothing. What links are we willing to go to to bring others to Jesus? What links are we willing to go to? Because it would have been costly for these men. Not only would they have been ridiculed. Imagine, imagine it. The whole crowd there listening to Jesus preach the word and they're trying to get in and they scuffle around. There's a staircase on the outside of the buildings in those uh, Palestinian places and they had a, a clay roof that they were able to dig through. Imagine the commotion. Imagine people going, what are you doing? <laughs> Willing to be ridiculed and mocked in order to get their friend to Jesus. What about the actual cost? It doesn't say this in the passage, does it? But I doubt they would have got away with leaving a big hole in a roof. <laughs> they would have had to have promised to come back or pay someone to, to put it right, yeah? There would have been a cost to doing this and they were willing to have a costly exercise because it was their number one mission. What costs are we willing to give in order to bring others to Jesus? Time, financial effort, the ridicule. just want to turn aside for a moment and talk about the humour in this passage that you might have not known. When you're preaching, um, you're pretty good at little distractions and you're trying to keep going. Jesus is here preaching in the house. It's a full, full crowd. He's telling them the word of God. To put a hole in the roof doesn't happen like in an instant. It's going to take some time. So can you imagine there, Jesus preaching and there's this commotion and all of a sudden some dirt lands on his head because they were above Jesus. So the clay roof would have sort of put some dirt on his head as he's talking. (laughs) I am the good shepherd and (laughs) I just got to concentrate. I got to keep talking. The shepherd lays down his life for his... What's going on here? There's humour in the word of God if you go looking for it. But Jesus wasn't distracted. He kept preaching. Good on you. In verse 5 it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralysed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. He saw their faith. Now it says plural here. He saw their faith. Is he talking about the four men? Is he talking about the four men and the man on the mat? I think it's it's all five of them, because it would have taken faith of the man to be willing to be carried by men and be lowered down on a mat. It takes faith just for that, doesn't it, (laughs) through a roof, when Jesus saw their faith. Now, it doesn't say here in the text, when someone told Jesus about their faith and he heard about it, 
or is having a conversation with them afterwards and they were sharing their faith and, and Jesus heard, says that Jesus saw their faith. Their faith was so active. It wasn't just something that they talked about. Their faith motivated them to action. Their faith enabled them to pursue and push until they met Jesus. Again, it begs a question, is our faith visible to others or only talked about? When we go back to our spheres of influence, to our, to our families, to our workplaces, do we only talk about our faith or do we live it in such a way where others see our faith? Now, we didn't do the clock here, so I've got absolutely no idea. Oh, I've got much. What time? Oh, we've got time. Um, Jesus then says in the same verse, he said to the paralysed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, anyone find this odd when they first read this story? I know I did. These men had a mission to bring their paralysed friend to Jesus for healing, for physical healing. And when he saw their faith, he didn't say to the man, your paralysis is healed. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Did this man ask for his sins to be forgiven? Is this what they, they came for? And yet Jesus, when he sees their faith, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus addresses this man's deepest need, his truest need, his primary need. And it's the need of every single human being, the need for forgiveness, for our sins to be forgiven. For that is humanity's primary need. Do we have this as our priority? When we go about our life, do we as a church, when we go about our mission, see this as our primary need or as our secondary need? For Jesus, it was the primary need. It was the first thing that he addresses, that his sins are forgiven. And the man didn't object. He didn't say, hang on a minute. That's not what I came here for. <laughs> you know, sometimes our visible and obvious needs are, are, are very obvious. But it's our hidden needs that are the most primary and needed. We have hidden needs, don't we? We have unobvious needs to others. When it came to the, the healings of, of Jesus, people brought demon-possessed, blind, lame, even the dead were raised, and it's obvious what needs to happen. But it's the unobvious that Jesus really is at the heart of. If we had the choice between uh, temporary relief from a physical ailment or eternity consequences for salvation of souls, which would we take? 
we could live a few more years with the temporary, surely, in order to have an eternal home with him. So I just want to unpack this idea a little bit. See, if we thought, think, think about some other physical healings that we see in the word and what Jesus done, we can actually relate that to a spiritual healing that needs to take place in each and every one of us. As I look at the way Jesus healed people physically, I see three main ones. People were blind. I sang about that in the song. I was blind, but now I see. That's an obvious physical condition, isn't it? And they came to Jesus, and in different ways, Jesus healed their blindness. In a similar way, we can say that we are all spiritually blind. We are unable to actually see the, the way to Jesus, the, the way to life. And in fact, that's the way that the religious scribes and Pharisees are always portrayed, completely spiritually blind to what Jesus is actually saying, unable to actually see and comprehend what he's about. Then there's the lame, or in this case paralysed, unable to walk, unable to move. You could say stuck. They're stuck in, in their ways. They're spiritually stuck, and we can be spiritually stuck too. Perhaps spiritually stuck because of circumstances in our lives that have happened to us, that have been hardships, and people can't physically get out of that space, and so they're spiritually stuck. And it takes someone to pick them up and carry them to Jesus. Then there are those that are possessed. Uh, demon-possessed. And if I think about what it means to be possessed, it means that we're completely taken hold of. There's no more space for anything else. We're completely ruled by and under the operation of something else. And it's pretty obvious, isn't it, when a demon-possessed person comes to Jesus and he heals them. In what ways can we be spiritually possessed by self? where we're completely full of ourselves, that there's no more space, where we're completely run and operated by our own self, that there is no spiritual space for someone else to come and take over and to rule our hearts. There's no room. I find it really interesting that in the chapter 1 of Mark, they bring the the sick and the the demon-possessed and he heals them. Then in chapter 2, these men bring the man on a mat and he, and he heals him both physically and spiritually because he gets to the physical bit, doesn't he, at the end. In Mark chapter 3, there's a, another situation where there's another crowded house and there's another group of people that are coming to Jesus. Do you know who it is? It's his own family. It's his mother and his brothers come to Jesus. I want to read it to you. From Mark 3, verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house. We've seen that before. And again, a crowd gathered. Seen that before. So that his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. And they said, he's out of his mind. And then it goes on. He talks a little bit. And then in verse 31, it says, Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they, you know, the message gets passed through. Chinese whispers, 
it's funny that it actually ended up that by the end of it. Uh, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus' answer is fascinating. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now I want to make it clear, Jesus is not saying that the nuclear family isn't important. In fact, if you look at scripture <laughs> across the board, it's, it's, it's primary. It's the centre of our society. What Jesus is saying here is what is important in life. It's not how we're born. It's not our status. It's not our self. It's not our entitlement. It's about whether we're at the feet of Jesus, it's whether our dependence is on him for our, our healing and our salvation. Jesus is a mother. They, they kind of had this entitlement rather than making a hole in the roof and getting to Jesus, they're like, tell him to come to us. I'm so full of myself. I'm, I'm, I'm in his family. I'm entitled. I deserve it. You know, come here. Talk about an example of being self-possessed. So full of ourselves that we think we deserve something that we don't. Jesus not only heals physically but spiritually. He not only heals our blindness, our lameness, but he heals our self-righteousness. What is the answer to physical healing? Get them to Jesus, right? What is the answer to our spiritual healing? The method's exactly the same. We've got to get to Jesus. We've got to get to Jesus. The method is the same. It's not about us. It's not about our ability. It's not about finding self-help. It's not about working hard to earn it, etc., etc., etc. It's about coming to Jesus. You know, this story really ultimately is about you and me. You and I are the paralysed man on the mat. You and I are so stuck in our sin, in our condition, our spiritual condition, unable to move, stuck, blind, self-righteous, that we cannot do anything of ourselves in order to fix the situation. No self-help, no effort, no doctors. Nothing's going to fix us. The only thing is going to be able to get to Jesus. But there's a problem. There's a barrier in the way. The Bible says that, that, that sin is the barrier between us and God. But Jesus, in dying on the cross removed the roof. He made a hole. He made a way. He removed the barrier in order that we could come freely, perhaps carried by others, to the very feet of Jesus and that we might find wholeness 
and healing for our condition. And that is the invitation that he gives to each and every single one of us. Whether you know Jesus a long time, whether you don't know Jesus at all, or whether you're on the journey to finding that wholeness and healness, the invitation is the same. He's made a way. He's put a hole in the roof. He's removed the barrier. And he's made a way for us in our blindness, in our stuckness to come to him. We're going to have a time of communion now, and that's what this represents. That Jesus on the cross sacrificed himself. He laid himself down. He broke his body in order that we might find this healing in this relationship. And his blood was shed in order that we might have full access into the very presence of God and always be able to come to the feet of Jesus. Will you join me as I pray? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you speak to us through it. Lord, if there's been a question that has been posed this morning that is ready right now speaking to to people in this room, I just just ask the Holy Spirit that you'd be at work in that question, that there would be a chance for transformation in our hearts to occur because of your word. Lord, for if there's anyone in this room who feels stuck, who feel blind, who perhaps feel like they've got it all together and they don't need Jesus, Lord, that you might soften their hearts, that maybe even in this time of communion you'd speak to them and you would offer your invitation to come to the feet of Jesus to find healing and wholeness and life that you give. So, Lord, as we partake in this meal together, we pray that you'd be present with us, that you'd be speaking to us, that you would indeed be healing us of our condition, that we might walk away changed because of your goodness, because of your mercy, because of your sacrifice. We thank you, Jesus, for your love. In your name, amen. I'm going to invite... The band members first to grab uh, the bread and the wine and uh, they're going to come up and we're going to sort of tell you how to do it because there's a bit of chaos, a bit of COVID chaos. Um, the band are going to play and I've asked them to, to play the song that we just um, sang before I got up to preach. Um, these pieces broken and scattered and as we were singing that this morning, Willie had a picture. I'm just going to get Willie up right now, if you will, about being broken and scattered at each and every one of us. And Willie's just going to share that as a, as a means to enter into our time of communion. Thanks. Um, the Japanese people have an art form called kintsugi. That's an example of it up there on the screen and it's when their beautiful bowls are broken and what they do with the bowls they repair them with gold so that the bowl in the end is far more beautiful than it was to even start with and that I feel is like what Jesus does with us 
We may be broken, but he fixes us. And when we're fixed, we're far more beautiful than we were before. All these pieces, broken and scattered, in mercy mended, healed and whole. That's that picture. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a paralysed man like me. For I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind. But now I see. All because of what he's done for us. Might get the, the band to come. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, sets out these words for us that we follow. He says, For the, I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I was thinking about this proclaiming the Lord's death. We have this word when we talk about communion, and it's partake. We partake in communion. What does partake mean? It means that we get to join in something that's happening. You see, there's something that's been happening since Jesus initiated his kingdom here on earth, and that is the bringing in of people into his family. And there are people all across the world who trust Jesus and have put their hope in him to come into his, his family. And we all join in, we all partake in what he's already done for us. His death and his resurrection has made a way and we partake in that way. We partake in that freedom. We partake in that coming to him because of what he has done on the cross. So as we partake this morning, as we take the bread and as we take the cup, we're actually joining in something that's already been done for us. We're actually saying, Jesus, you've made a way. Because of your body and because of your blood shed on the cross, I now have newness of life in you. I get to join in. I get, I've been invited to this family and I get to partake in it. And so this meal is open to everyone. It is an open table. Everyone who trusts in Jesus or, or is longing to find out more about him, you are welcome to this. If you don't want to take part in this, you don't have to. You can stay in your seats. But we're going to get the band to sing this song as we come up. And I just pray, as you've been thinking about any of those questions, or as if you think about even just partaking in the invitation into all the fullness of what God's earned for you, that he would speak, the Holy Spirit would be doing something in your hearts. What we're going to do is we're going to get the people on this side to come down to this row uh, in an orderly fashion, grab the bread and the cup and then go back to the through the middle row. And when this side's done, we're going to get 
this side to just come down the middle and back up the middle again. Can I get you to hold the bread and the cup and we're going to eat together at the end. So use this time as a time of reflection as you listen to the words of the song, as you think about the word that Willie's spoken, as you think about the questions that have been posed this morning and ask the Lord to do a new thing in your heart. So will you come and receive the body and the blood? Thank you that these little emblems symbolize what we just sang about, the love that was in your eyes, the love that caused you to head to that cross, knowing full well the pain, the anguish, the ridicule, to lay yourself down, to die on our behalf to give up your life so that we can have life and in doing so removing every roof that's ever been existing in the human race thank you Jesus for your love Amen take and eat the body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was broken for you Jesus said in that story, Son, your sins are forgiven. In the same way I can proclaim to you, Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven because of my blood that was shed for you. Take and drink the blood that was shed for your forgiveness of sins. We're just going to have a, a time to, to sing a last song. It speaks about living a life in a way that would take it out. That's our vision for this year, is to go out, bear fruit. Maybe you need to be an airline hostess <laughs> and ask and ask and ask, invite, invite, invite. Come and see, come and see. Bring people to Jesus because I can guarantee every single need is met in our Saviour, Jesus. Let's stand together and sing.
just felt like the Lord just wanted me to read from Romans where it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What roof can be in the way? Whether trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. May it go out in the knowledge of his love for you, in his blessing, uh, into the world, into your family, into your spheres of influence, living an active faith that people can see, being an airline steward. And it all starts with coffee. So grab a coffee afterwards, have a conversation. Maybe ask someone which question really poked you in the heart today and continue those conversations as we fellowship together. God bless.